It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. On a Saturday morning, it's 74 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. Every Saturday morning from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., I am here on WSB to talk about gardening, to talk about anything you want to talk about as regards the natural world or regards bugs and creatures and weeds and flowers, trees and shrubs, anything you want to talk about and have your question answered. Based on research, based on experience, based on a little bit of knowledge that I might have for my lifetime. If you have a question, you heard the number a minute ago, 404-872-0750. For the first few minutes of the show, I want to talk about what I noticed yesterday and what I thought you might need to know today. Because, as you know, July 4th, 4th of July, coming up on us, and what great horticultural event, what marker, what date with history does July 4th bring to us? It brings to us the time to prune blue and pink, the big-leafed hydrangeas. Grandma's hydrangeas. You know hydrangeas have the big leaves, they call hydrangea macrophylla, and the big-leaf hydrangea, the one that usually has the blue and pink flowers, it's about time around July 4th to prune them if you need to. You don't have to prune them at all. You don't need to if, you, if it's too right shape, right size, right place, and you don't need to prune it. You don't have to prune it at all. But a lot of people find that the big leaf hydrangea gets pretty big, bigger than you sometimes wish it would be. And so you do want to prune it once a, once a year. The time to prune the big leaf hydrangea is important because... After July 4th, they begin a process of making the flower buds for next year. And so if you wait until a long time after July 4th, if you wait till September, let's say, and start pruning then, well, we got problems. Problems because you're removing the bloom buds for next year. And then you call me in May of next year and say, Mr. Reeves, my hydrangeas aren't blooming. Can you tell me what to make, what I can do to make my hydrangeas bloom? Well, you need to think about pruning on the blue and pink hydrangeas. They're the ones that it's important not to prune much past August. Middle of August will be the last, I think, during the summer that I would think about pruning them. If you prune during the wintertime, some people think that that's when you're supposed to prune all shrubs. Well, most shrubs. The big leaf hydrangea, not so quite fast. You only prune them again in the midsummer. And if you have to prune after that time, you better just wait and put it off. A little selective pruning can be done sometimes, but you don't want to do a huge bit of pruning on the big leaf hydrangeas after, after mid-August. Now, that's one kind of hydrangea, but you may know there are lots of different kinds of hydrangeas in landscapes in Atlanta. The other one that I noticed yesterday in my yard is I have one called Little Lime. It's a miniature dwarf form of limelight. A lot of people have limelight hydrangeas. They are so beautiful. They have the white flowers that gradually turn green. They're lovely, lovely, lovely hydrangeas. But limelight hydrangea is pruned in a completely different way than the big leaf hydrangea. The limelight hydrangea is pruned after it is flowered and can be pruned all the way up until mid-spring. 
you can actually prune a limelight hydrangea in wintertime with no problem because it puts on its flower buds after springtime. So mine yesterday, I was looking at my little lime in the backyard, and I saw the little lime was putting on its flowers, thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be so gorgeous in a week or so. It's going to be so pretty, and thinking to myself, but I don't want to prune it now, obviously. It has the flowers on it. So if you have a big leaf hydrangea, prune it July 4th to the middle of August. If you have a panicle hydrangea, these uh, little lime and limelight and PG and several other kinds of the strawberry sundae, the strawberry shortcake, strawberry vanilla, or some that I've seen come out at Pike in the last couple of years. And these panicle hydrangeas, they're called, can be pruned anytime during the fall, winter, early, early spring, and they'll still bloom the next year just fine. A third kind of hydrangea. See, there's all sorts of different kinds of hydrangeas in the landscape. A third kind of hydrangea, oak leaf hydrangea. Their flowers are just about faded through right now. And oak leaf hydrangeas are different from the others in that their leaves look like an oak tree. Yeah, they do. And a lot of people recognize the oak leaf hydrangea, big cone-shaped flowers on oak leaf hydrangea. They don't usually need to be pruned. But again, I think if I were going to prune them, I'd prune them after they finish flowering. You can prune them up until early spring. In the wintertime, usually it'll be a fine to prune them then. So if you want to prune an oak leaf hydrangea anytime between now and early spring, I think it'll be fine for them. Is there another kind of hydrangea? Well, yes, of course, there's a fourth kind of hydrangea to think about, the Annabelle hydrangea. And a lot of people have Annabelle like it because of the huge round white flowers. Beautiful, beautiful shrub. The Annabelle is most known for flopping <laughs> because the flowers get so heavy after a rain in the summertime that the flowers flop down into the into the dirt, into the mulch sometimes around the around the plant. We fix that by appropriate pruning, but I'll tell you about that some other time. But Annabelle hydrangea, another one like the panicle, like the limelight hydrangea, you can prune it anytime between late summer after it finishes flowering, which is a couple of weeks from now, on through the early part of spring because they put their flower buds on after the springtime after wintertime, and they put on their flower buds during the spring and summer. And so when they finish flowering, you can prune them again, or you can prune them for the next three or four months. So we have four kinds of hydrangeas. The old-fashioned grandma blue and pink hydrangea, it needs to be done in the summer, July 4th through middle of August is about right. Oak leaf hydrangea can be pruned, if you have to, can be pruned after it's finished flowering between then and early spring. The panicle hydrangeas, limelight, PG, the rest of them, can be pruned in the fall after they have finished flowering through early spring. And the other hydrangeas, the Annabelle hydrangea, again, through early spring. But the one you need to think about, the blue and the pink, if you have one of those blue and pink, pink mop head hydrangeas, get her done between the 4th of July and the, and the uh, middle of August, I think is about right. If you need a reference, you can't, you can't keep straight all these hydrangeas and when to prune them. If you want to go to my website, WalterReeves.com, there is a, I've got a nice, pretty nice uh, website, webpage, if I do say so myself. But the webpage that I have, you can find it by just typing hydrangea identification or hydrangea pruning in the search bar. And that'll take you to the page that I have about identifying hydrangeas. It has pictures of the flowers. It has pictures of the uh, plants after they have been pruned severely. It has a little brochure that I got from a lady that used to work for the Extension Service in Cobb County and tells you how to identify and how to prune the hydrangeas there. Again, WalterReeves.com and type pruning hydrangea or hydrangea pruning or hydrangea identification. All those work. 
We go to the phones first. Philip's out in uh, Carrollton and Georgia's in the Lawn and Garden. Hey, Philip, good morning. Good morning, sir. I had a question about an asparagus bed. Yes, sir. Talk to me. Uh, my neighbor had a beautiful one, and it just over, you know, got taken over by weeds. Yeah. And he finally just plowed it up. <laughs> and and I didn't know if, if the man was starting out fresh, if you had a recommendation how to make it easier to wear the, I guess, I know it's elbow grease, but yeah. uh, it, it if, there, if you had any ideas on that, planting it in rows or... Yeah, it's, it's always a good idea to learn from other people's experience, Philip. And that this is a situation where you always learn from what the other guy did wrong. He let weeds get ahead of him. And once you have get, let weeds get ahead of you in an asparagus bed, about the only solution you have is to plow it up and start all over again. So the question that you have is what now, Philip, say it again for me. Philip, what did you want to know particularly? Well, I mean, should I plant it in a row or or just... Yeah, you can do it either way. Uh, My mom and I would gather little wild asparagus plants from under the fence rows around the farm, and we planted it in a bed two rows wide and about 10, 15 maybe feet long. And the rows, I guess, Philip, were about, about four feet apart from each other. So we just did two by 10 because we thought that was what fit in the place between the chicken houses where we grew the asparagus. So you can do it either as a bed, most people do, frankly, do it as a bed about four feet wide and about eight feet long, and that gives you enough room to get on either side of it to pull the weeds whenever you see them. And the worst weed in the world in an asparagus bed is Bermuda grass. Gosh, what a horrible plant to try to get out of an asparagus bed. I should I say all that, Philip, and I should remind myself that I have a page on my website. You can find it, walterreads.com, just type in asparagus. There's one of the pages there that talks about a technique of actually spraying Roundup on your asparagus bed, but you have to cut down all the asparagus first. If I'm not mistaken, let me see, the sequence is you harvest asparagus, you cut everything down so it's all below the soil surface. Any weeds that have come come up at that point, which is in no oh, late spring, early summer, you spray those with Roundup, and then you let the asparagus beds sprout back out. You know how they have the big ferns, big feathery-looking ferns on them for the summertime and fall. And so the Roundup is sprayed at a time when there are no asparagus plants present, but when the weeds have sprouted. So there is a technique of timing things so you can spray if you want to. I think it's easier simply not to let the weeds get ahead of you. Always be vigilant. Always pull them out. Okay, and that information's on your website? You bet, you, you bet it is. The other thing, Philip, okay. if you're going to start a new asparagus bed, get good asparagus varieties. You're going to have it for several years, and so you might as well start out right. And Martha Washington and Mary Washington varieties are not as good as the new Jersey ones, Jersey Mail, Jersey Mac, Purple Passion. Oh, there's four or five others that have huge spears on them, lots of productivity, and much, much, much better than Martha Washington and Mary Washington. Both of those are old, old, old varieties, and they just don't produce very well. It's 618 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. You were the sunshine, baby.
whenever you smile But I call you Stormy today And there's the weather report right there. Quick weather report brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today's scattered showers here and there, a couple of maybe severe storms, high of 94. Low of 72 tonight. Tomorrow, sunshine comes back with a chance of stray showers tomorrow as well. High of 90, low of 72. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Terry in Hampton joins us. He comes to us right this very minute. Hi, Terry. Good morning. Hi, Hi. Mr. Reeves. How are you? I'm just fine. How can I help? Well, I have a fig tree. I believe it's a brown turkey. Okay fig tree and last year I noticed that it had white it looked like an exudate all over the stems and I was quite chagrined to see that and I read about it and they said sprays of water would knock that off that it was white flies so I did take a hose to it and I noticed that these white things went everywhere but it didn't take care of the problem so I also read that I could use uh, ladybugs so I bought a bunch of ladybugs and let them loose in the tree, and that seemed to help. And I have that same problem again this year. Uh, let's let's identify what the insect is on the fig before we start thinking of what to do about it. So when you say this white exudate and you see these white flies, tell me a little bit more about what it looks like. More detail. Well, the white is it kind of covers the stems. Uh-huh. Um, in in spots and places, not everywhere. And since I've noticed it on the fig tree, I have noticed it also on other plants yeah. around the yard occasionally. Um, but if you put your finger on the white stuff, you can knock it off. Yeah. All right. Now we know what we have. I know what you have, Terry. What do I have? <laughs> you have plant hoppers. And fortunately, oh. plant hoppers are not particularly harmful the figs in particular, or to many other plants as well. The one bad thing that plant hoppers can do, they do suck some sap out of the stems of the plants they're on. And if you have a sick plant that has virus or things in the sap of the plant, they can transmit it. They're a vector for diseases in a garden. So that's one thing that plant hoppers do that's bad. But for the most part, the damage they do themselves is not all that bad. And the advice to knock them off with a stream of water is not bad advice either because it does knock them off pretty well. Insecticidal soap will do the same, but then you're spending a little bit of money. Um, for plant hoppers, you have to decide, where the, Terry, whether the damage they do is worth the effort to try to control them other than with a garden hose. I would not worry about it if it were me. It doesn't really affect, again, the health or the yield of the fig plant, and I would sort of leave them alone. Okay, and then one other question. It seemed like they appeared there after the guy that gardens for me put yeah. pine straw in. Do they come in on pine straw? No, 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 no. association at all. Okay. All right. All well, right, thank you. there you go. You don't have to do anything. That's exactly the answer that most people want. You don't have to do a thing. It's 628 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 
635 and 74 degrees outside. This is Lauren Garden. I'm Walter Reeves of Georgia Garden. Next couple of minutes anyway. Talk to Barbara and Dekula about the deer that are eating her hydrangea blooms. Gene over in Carrollton has Japanese beetles on his okra and maybe some hornworms on his tomatoes as well. We need to talk about how to control them. But I wanted to give a few more minutes to a discussion or a little talk about the plant hoppers we had in the last segment, last question of the last half hour. Because plant hoppers are numerous right now. And remember how the woman described them? She says, white exudate, she said, I believe, on the stems of her fig plant. And she said, it's on a lot of other plants in my garden, too. If you see this sort of powdery-looking, well, that's really the way to describe it, powdery-looking stuff, waxy maybe, stuff on the stem, not on the leaves, on the stems of your plant. And if you touch it, she remember she said that, I could touch it, it hopped off or it went away. That's plant hoppers. Usually I use a piece of pine straw or something just to poke it, just to see what happens. And they'll fly, whoo, they'll fly off the stem. And again, those plant hoppers don't do a lot of damage to plants, but they can do some. So you can decide whether or not you want to control them or not. But that waxy, thready-looking stuff that they exude on the plant hopper body themselves, that's the stuff that protects them. That's how they protect themselves from predators is by putting this waxy stuff out, which, again, makes gardeners say, oh, man, that's got that white, waxy exudate or whatever on your, on your stems of your plants. So learn how to identify what plant hoppers really look like. I have pages, again, on my website. Just type plant hoppers. One word, by the way. Plant hoppers, one word. You see the pages of different forms, different uh, sizes, sizes and shapes they have during their lifetime. And very likely, if you have white stuff on the stem of your plant right now, it's probably plant hoppers. Barbara in Dekula joins us. Uh, good morning, Barbara. <laughs> good morning, Walter. How are you? Uh, yeah, I, uh, to my dismay, I, I mean, I just planted this beautiful uh, strawberry vanilla hydrangea oh, about four feet. Yeah. And I came out and all the blooms have been eaten off. Doggone it. Uh, yeah, I know. Can I... Do two things. Can I plant? Uh, can I spray it with deer spray? Yeah. And secondly, will I get any more blooms now? Yes, and yes, and maybe. <laughs> How's that uh, for an answer? Yes, you can spray it with deer spray. Yes, you have to keep applying it about every seven to ten days because once you slack off and stop spraying, then the deer says, "Oh, it doesn't smell quite so bad anymore. Let's go and see what that shrub tastes like now. Maybe it tastes mm-hmm. better with the spray on it." So uh, what deer eat depends a lot on what else they have to eat in the neighborhood, what other person has a rose or a hydrangea or some daylily somewhere that they like to eat. They'll eat those rather than yours, perhaps. So anything you can do to make yours stand out in a deer's nose to say, man, I don't want to eat this stuff. Let's go over there to some some of the neighbor's yard. Then that's the best you can do. And just regular spraying with the deer spray. And there's lots of them, you know, the deer off and... Uh, what's the other three or four that they have that for deer repellent uh, that you can buy? All of them depend just, just about on smell and on taste and whatever you can do to make a deer not smell the right thing or not taste the right thing. That's good for you. Now, Will um, I get more blooms on the plant or is Maybe it you will. Maybe you will because the strawberry vanilla is a panicle hydrangea. At the first of the show this morning, I talked about panicle hydrangeas. They can form flowers on new growth. That's good news, because if you have some new growth, we have plenty of time this summer, it seems to me, to have new growth on your on your hydrangea. And that new growth may well have time between now and August, maybe, 
to have a flower or two or three. So I would keep your fingers crossed. Uh, prune if you want to do some sort of damage control on the hydrangea. Get a little clipper out there and clip out the ends of the stems where it's raggedy, where they chewed on it a little bit. And just yeah. clip it off to make a nice clean cut there. And uh-huh. let them grow. Let them grow water appropriately, uh, you know, the regular care for a hydrangea. But after that, let's see what Mother Nature gives to you. Okay, yeah. I was so upset because I, t- oh, yeah. I just took a long time and took great care in planting. And it is such a plant. great it plant, too. Wood, so. When the deer leave you alone, you'll really enjoy the flowers on it, too, Barbara. I'm sorry they got them this year. I know. Okay, well, thank you so much, Walter. You bet. Thanks for calling. Bye. Gene's over in Carrollton and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gene, good morning. Good morning. How you doing, Walter? Doing fine, Gene. What you got? I got a couple things going on. First thing I want to tell you is thanks for the crate myrtle advice. You saved me so much work. <laughs> you stopped for a new one. Yeah, I don't have to do that no more. I yeah. just walked that off my honeydew list. But I've got Japanese beetles on my okra. I've got these back in the spring, these little bitty yellow egg sacs that were in the rows underneath my squash and I yeah. smashed them all and got rid of those, but some more of those hatched. The little bitty yellow look like caterpillar worms, but just really, really small, like yeah. maybe a eighth of an inch, sixteenth of an inch long. And then on my squash, I've got these beautiful caterpillars, but they can consume a large amount of tomato plant in a short amount of time. Yeah. And my tomato plants got those little yellow the stems that come off the tomato plant are turning yellow from the bottom up. And yeah. I've been pruning them up. Well, you, so maybe you're... you can elaborate and let me know what I've got going on there all in a nutshell, right? Basically, I don't want to live near you, Gene, because you have too many problems oh, on your garden. It's my first year having this garden, and, you know, we haven't treated the soil. We just yeah. tilled it up, cleaned it up, put the garden in in rows. It's a beautiful garden. It's really producing, but now yeah. I'm dealing with these pests. All right, and, let, me, uh, let me get started on it, Gene. I know you don't have a lot of uh, note-taking ability where you are right now, but here's what you have. Let's go first and foremost. On the okra, Japanese beetles. Because okra is, uh, has some insect activity around it, I hate to say spray the flowers with insecticide that kills the bees and other pollinators. The easiest thing, if you possibly can, is to hand-pick the Japanese beetles in the morning, preferably early in the morning when they're still cold. They don't move very fast at all. It's dawn, and you know, right now it's dawn pretty much, and it's only, what, 642. So if you get out early in the morning before they've warmed up some, they won't fly, and you can pick them off and put them in a little can of water or just thump the stem of your okra plant, and the Japanese beetles will drop off into it. Uh, if you have to spray with insecticide, there are several that are labeled for Japanese beetle control. Seven is one, but it sure is deadly to bees. I hate to use that. And there are other garden vegetable insecticides you could try as well. Hand picking would be my first option there. Uh, for tomatoes, and or you said it was squash, you had the yellow thing. Is that right? You had little the egg little cases? bitty yellow. I mean, they're so small, Walter. I mean, they're... They're kind of, they almost look fuzzy and a little yeah. bitty. I mean, less than a sixteenth of an inch long, and there's a bunch of them. And they'll get bigger than that, bigger than a sixteenth of an inch very quickly. That is the okay. squash beetle. There's a one just like it. It's called the Mexican bean beetle. And both of them start out with the egg cases. You already saw those. You tried to mash those with your fingers. 
And if any of them hatch, they have a yellow larval form, real bristly sort of, and it gets bigger real quickly because they eat, 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 eat. They eat the leaves off your squash plants pretty quickly. And then they turn into something that looks like a lady beetle. Of all things, it looks like a lady beetle, but you'll notice that it also is eating the leaves of your squash. So you don't want that to be there as well. So you have to learn to identify them, Gene. And the first line of defense, squash the eggs with your fingers, put it Put a glove on if you want to, but uh, squash the eggs wherever you see them, always under the leaves and always in little yep. rows, five or 10 or 15 or 20 of them all in a row there. Very mass. symmetrical, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And when you see them on the squash leaves, again, squash them on the squash leaves. Don't let them live any further than that. There, again, are insecticides you can use, seven and eight and various other brands that are labeled for use on vegetables. If you're trying to get only on the leaves, stay away from the flowers again because you need the pollinators on the squash to move pollen from one flower to another. So you've got to have those around. You don't want to kill them. So be careful with the insecticide there. And let's see, what was the third one you had, Gene? That would be yellow. beautiful caterpillars that are... They're really big, and they eat the heck out of my tomato plants. Yeah, hornworms. Hornworms have a little horn at the end of the caterpillar, and (laughs) they're tough to see. They're green. They're the same color green as your tomato stem. And if you want to, back when you were a teenager, when you were a young adult, remember they had black lights that you could shine on people's clothes, and they'd glow real white, bright white? If you can find a black light, ask a teenager for these days, hey, do you know where I can find a black light somewhere? If they have one, or if you can find one, if you get it online, they don't cost very much. But black lights, one, yeah. yeah, they'll make a caterpillar glow in the dark. And <laughs> you can go around <laughs> to your tomatoes at night and make those sorry things glow, and you can find them then. It's much easier to see at night under black light than they are during the day and pick them off. Okay, good. Because I haven't used any insecticides, and I really didn't want to. Yeah. You know. So just pick those off. Pick the Japanese beetles off, and it. I can treat the squash. You got it. You got it. Now, my tomato plants well, from Gene, the bottom I, I don't have a lot of time. Let me, tell you, let me tell you about the tomatoes real quickly. The tomatoes probably have a disease called early blight because the leaves turn yellow at the bottom, and it moves up the plant pretty soon. You don't have any leaves at all. The best thing for early blight is a vigilance. Pick off the leaves when you first see them. First see them on the lower part of the plant. Pick them off and don't let them stand on the ground. And if you just don't seem to be able to stop the disease with picking off the leaves, then use a uh, fungicide. Dacanil is the one that's, I think, labeled for use on vegetables. And dacanil will stop it, but you've got to put it on the plant before it spreads very far because once you get ahead of you, the disease will really be a booger if you don't uh, get it under control. So try to get some dacanil onto the plant. If it's the first sign of the disease, you just, just can't control it by taking the leaves off of it. Again, Gene, you've got a lot of problems, but I think all of them are solvable. The first thing to do is identify. The second thing to do is try to pick them off. third thing to do is use insecticide or fungicide, whichever is appropriate for you. And you'll have a successful, hopefully a successful vegetable garden after that. I remember when I was a kid, one of the things <laughs> one of the things that I was paid for, and there were very few things that I was paid for in the mid-50s and in the rural parts of Georgia, that was picking the potato beetles off of my mother's and father's Irish potatoes. And I'd go out there and I'd pick 100 or 100, 200 of the sorry things in a, in a morning. And for 100 of them, I think I got a nickel. <laughs> for 200 a dime. So I could earn money back then picking the bugs off of the potato plants, and I guess that's the thing that they knew. 
Start early, get your kids out there, pick it up, pay them a nickel, don't pay them much money for the potato beetles, and you'll eventually, hopefully, be able to control them. It's 647 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. Baby's good to me, you know she's happy as can be, you know she said so. I'm in love with her and I feel fine. Baby says she's mine, you know she tells me all the time, you know she said so. I'm in love with her and I feel fine. Well, here's a quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roof, and this is the weather that I said so is going to happen today. Scattered showers, a few severe storms, high of 94, low of 72 tonight. Tomorrow, sunshine comes back, but a chance of spray showers during the day, high of 90, low of 72. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes with News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Mike is in Buford and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Mike, good morning. Good morning. What you got, Mike? Well, I've got an uncle who's got a, a, some muscadines, and I wanted to grow some myself. I didn't know if that was a plant that I could start from a cutting mm. or not. And if so, when would be the best time to try to do that? Is there any rush in getting the cuttings? Your uncle isn't planning on moving or going away? You don't have access to the vine anymore? No rush, right? Yeah, no rush. Okay, good. The easiest way is to do a air layering because it requires zero work or five minutes work maybe on your part or his part, somebody's part. You go to the grapevine, you try to find one branch, one long whip, if you want to call it that, of the muscadine that can touch the ground. If it can touch the ground, you're good, you're golden because you can make it root in the ground very simply. You simply watch where it touches the ground, take a little dull knife and scrape a little bit on the stem to wound it, and it wants to root at that point. And if you were to take a little bit of rooting uh, powder, rooting hormone, there's one brand name called Rutone that you put onto the um, wound, and then stick it in the ground about an inch, it's fine, cover it with a handful of dirt, and put a brick on top of that to hold it in place, by fall, it will be rooted, and you can clip it off with the mother vine mic, take it home to your house, and you've got a new muscadine just like your uncle's. Awesome. It works yeah, that great. that sounds real easy. No, no <laughs> cuttings, no dipping in, you know, putting in moisture in a greenhouse and all this other stuff. Just air layer the thing. And that's what it's called, air layering, what the layer has to do with anything. I do not know. But uh, she said soil layering. Soil layering is what you're doing. Air layering is a different process completely. But soil layering is easy to do, and again, all you have to do is wound the branch and it touches the ground. And this, this works for a lot of things. It works for azaleas, hydrangeas, anything that has a little bit of a flexible limb that you can get to touch the ground. Wound it, put some powder onto it, and lay it down for about ooh, three months or so. It'll root right there. All right. Well, thank you very much for your help. Now, between now and then, Mike, you're going to build an arbor, right? You're going to have posts and wires and all that? Yep. As you need to do that. I know that a lot of people believe you put muscadines on arbors, and you can. But, man, they don't produce nearly as well on an arbor, you know, where you sit underneath it and on the rocking chairs and sit out in the afternoons. 
You get some, but you get bothered by yellow jackets all the time. So I would say very clearly the easiest way to, to grow muscadines is with posts with wires strung between them, and you run the, run the vines down the wires. Prune it every year. It's a lot easier to prune this way as well. And if you do that, you've got a great-looking muscadine, and it tastes just like your uncle's does. Great. Right. Thank you very much. You nothing to it, Mike. Thanks for calling. Coming up in the next half hour, we've got Mark and Ackworth as a foster holly that's losing its leaves for some reason. And our friend Nicole says she's got a watermelon. She's got a question about watermelon. She needs a little advice on as well. By the way, if you want to learn more about muscadines, they're a native grape. They grow great in Georgia, and they taste so sweet in August and September. If you need to know which varieties work really well here, and some work fabulously well, Carlos and Cowart, a Triumph is a delicious muscadine. I've got all those listed on my website. Go to WalterReeves.com. Just type in muscadine to give you all the details you need. It's 6.57 at News Talk WSB. We will be back to more Lawn and Garden after news.